from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this Mother's Day weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Corn prices explode a dollar in just two weeks. You think you needed a seatbelt this week, just wait. As hog markets accomplish something it hasn't done in 20 years. But as food prices rise, it's another shortage popping up, finding enough workers. That's the natural question, why? Why aren't people showing back up at work? And I think there are several possible explanations. The true cost of Americans not going back to work in our Farm Journal report. A mom, wife, and veterinarian, and now a cancer survivor. How this young mom handled the fight of her life with grace. And in John's world, the mysterious bases step up. Now for the news, the Biden administration officials this week laying out a little bit more about the president's so-called 30 by 30 plan and the role farmers and ranchers could play in making it happen. The plan, now called America the Beautiful, administration officials say it's a 10-year locally and voluntarily nationwide effort to conserve, connect, and restore 30% of the nation's lands and waters by the year 2030. But releasing few specifics on which areas would be set aside for conservation, calling the recommendations a starting point. Now, they did lay out six priority areas. Those include creating more parks, supporting tribally-led conservation efforts, expanding collaborative conservation of fish and wildlife habitats, increasing access for outdoor recreation, creating jobs by investing in restoration and resilience, and incentivizing and rewarding the voluntary conservation efforts of fisheries, ranchers, farmers, and forest owners. Now, government leaders not putting a dollar figure on that plan just yet. It will take more resource than we have we have had in the past, and that's why the president's budget has proposed additional resources for the Department of Agriculture in terms of its conservation responsibilities and its forest responsibilities. Uh, two, it's incumbent upon us to figure out creative ways to leverage those resources, which is why it's important to under, underscore the locally-led component of the America Beautiful um, effort. Uh, number three, it, it is also necessary that you match uh, the financial resources with the personnel resources so that the resource, the, the, the financial resources are invested wisely and appropriately. Some Republican lawmakers are against the 30 by 30 goal. They are concerned the government could designate strict protections on some lands that remain productive. Right now, about 26% of coastal waters are conserved, but only 12% of land is in a largely natural state. Now to reach the 30% target, that would require conserving an additional area twice the size of Texas. That's more than 440 million acres. Well, it's been part of the commodity trading for more than 100 years, but it's now part of history. CME Group announcing it's doing away with most of its open outcry trading pits in Chicago for good. The pits have been closed since March of last year due to the pandemic, but CME says it will not be reopening them. Only the Euro dollar options pit, which was reopened last August, will remain. The reason for the change? Well, a shift in trading to electronic platforms, and one trader says the death of the pit could also mean saying goodbye to true price discovery. That's the thing is the integrity. The one great thing about the floor is when people made markets, they had to stand by it. On the screen, you have no idea who the counterparty is. And that's where, you know, things get a little messy. And corn prices climbing to eight-year highs this week, adding fuel to the fire. China coming in on Friday with a big buy of new crop corn, totaling 1.36 million metric tons. And according to USDA's tracking of the largest daily sales for corn, it's the 16th biggest buy on record. 
Well, big price swings also happening for hogs and better economic conditions are helping push a new Purdue CME Group survey even higher. The April Ag Economy Barometer reading that climbed one point to 178. It's now just five points below its all-time high set back in October. Well, several tax policies are also under consideration by the Biden administration and Congress. The survey did ask about that, with three-fourths of producers saying they are very concerned about the possible elimination of the step-up in basis for farmland that's part of inherited estate. Well, Biden also announcing big plans this week when it comes to vaccinating America. And it's not going to happen without the help of rural America. Farmers were actually asked on the Purdue survey about the COVID-19 vaccine. Now 54% say they plan to get vaccinated. Another 32% say they won't. President Joe Biden has set a new vaccination goal to deliver at least one dose to 70% of American adults by July 4th. And beginning next week, we'll be shipping new allocations of vaccine to rural health clinics getting more vaccines to more rural clinics so Americans who don't live near one of the 75,000 vaccination sites will have new options. The U.S. Surgeon General speaking to AgriTalk and host Chip Flory about vaccine hesitancy. These vaccines, uh, even though it seems like they were developed on a quick time frame, the technology behind them has been in development for decades, for many, many years. And we are lucky enough to see the culmination of that research. And these vaccines have been studied rigorously in clinical trials. Well, dryness continues to be a concern for many, while some areas got some rain this week. We'll check in with meteorologist Mike Hoffman next. Meteorologist Mike Hoffman joins us now for weather. Mike, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's dry in some areas. I mean, one farmer in South Dakota this week told me it's a dire situation. But is there any indication that dryness could change? Good morning to you, Tyne. You are kind of sounding like a broken record, but unfortunately, that's the way the weather works sometimes. And it's that dry air, very dry uh, conditions, along with the dry air over the uh, far northern plains. It has uh, really caused some huge issues. You can see that on the root zone moisture. Also a dry area there in western Iowa has kind of developed. Western portions of uh, Pennsylvania into parts of the northeast and a few spots in southwestern Michigan as well. Those are all concerns. Southern Alabama also, but it's been mostly the West over the past, uh, well, several months. And that's a long-term drought. When you look at West Texas, also South Texas, westward all the way to the West Coast, it is basically just an extreme to exceptional drought in most of that area. And North Dakota, almost the entire state, as well as an expanding area in Northern South Dakota, getting into that extreme drought in those areas. There are some chances going forward with our zonal flow coming up here, a little bit of a change uh, to get some rain, but it is tough to get out of a drought uh, because what, ha what the atmosphere does usually is even when there's rain coming in, it ends up drying out because of all the dry ground right there. So let's go back a month. You can see not a lot of change there. There has been some change farther to the east, a little bit anyway, uh, but uh, other places that, you know, it's basically not been expanding except for the far northern plains just a little bit, mainly into uh, eastern Montana and northern South Dakota. So here you go on the jet stream. You can still see a trough over the Great Lakes as we head into the first part of next week, moving into New England. Still a piece of energy middle of the week into the northern Mississippi Valley, and then we kind of go zonal. Now those systems are moving west to east, 
And that's a nice pattern to be in because we can finally see some systems hitting areas that have been very dry, hopefully anyway. You can see as we head toward next Sunday then, trough developing out west, that'll start to pick up some of that Pacific moisture though and hopefully translate into some moisture. So let's go uh, day by day on this week. You can see Monday, east coast, Gulf coast, and then back into the uh, central Rockies. The chances for showers in those areas, snow in the higher elevations, obviously. On Wednesday, then, that system moving through the uh, central and southern Mississippi Valley with some showers and thunderstorms. High pressure dominating, keeping it dry. Northern plains into the uh, northeast, and it's mild out west. As we head into uh, Friday, then, another system coming in with some uh, showers finally for the northern plains into the central Rockies, lingering showers along the east coast. My 30-day outlook for temperatures, I'm going below normal for the Great Lakes, above normal southeast and much of the southwest, including Texas, and then 30-day outlook for precipitation, unfortunately below normal for much of those uh, dry areas back into the west, above normal for most of the eastern half of the country along the east coast. Tyne? Thanks, Mike. Well, it was another week where you needed to buckle up for these commodity markets. We'll talk about the driving factors with Chip Nellinger and Bob Utterback next. America's Conservation Ag Movement, a national partnership to help farmers scale conservation for their businesses, the environment, and their communities. To learn more, visit agweb.com ACAM. Welcome back on U.S. Farm Report, our marketing roundtable discussion with Bob Utterback, Chip Nellinger. What a week, another week that you needed to have your seatbelt on because it was a wild ride. Chip Nellinger, I'll start with you. I mean, it seems like it's not just about the fundamentals anymore. Uh, no, it's not. And uh, to, to your first point, uh, if you think you needed a seatbelt this week, just wait. We've got expanded limits now. You're not even into the time frame where we're going to start talking about uh, you know, uh, is it going to rain? What's the forecast? The different weather model runs every day. Uh, this thing's going to get uh, really crazy before it's said and done. It's been pretty straight up and that's great. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of things at play here and weather is already at play. South American, uh, Brazilian second crop corn, very, very dry for up to half their production, dry in the Western Corn Belt, uh, strong demand and you, inflationary pressures on top of that fun buying, commercial buying. It's been a heck of a week in here. Yeah, you just went through a laundry list of things at, at play here in this market. Bob, what would you say is driving these prices right now? The farmers don't have any grain left to sell. There's no farmer pressure because it's already been priced because all of us advisors basically moved the corn too soon. And now they're very, very reluctant on selling any more corn until they see it in the ground. And the crop has gone in excellently, very, very fast, but everybody looks at these drought monitors in the western states, and it does suggest if the dryness comes into the June-July time period, this market could become parabolic. For every bushel drop, you're not going up at a constant rate, but you go at an increasing rate. And how high do you have to go to ration usage when corn is well above us still in China? Yeah, and Chip, you know, not a lot of analysts thought we would get to this point, right? I mean, we are seeing these crazy prices at an unprecedented time. As we look and try to navigate this, you know, what can a producer's game plan be? Well, I, I think first and foremost, uh, you have to retain some upside. And uh, with these increasing uh, position limits, or I should say daily price limits now, it's really added some premium to our options. And people have a little bit of sticker shock, but we have to understand we're sitting here 
you know, $6 new crop corn futures and roughly $14 new crop bean futures. So we have to get our mind adjusted. I think this is the year we have to make the money, meaning higher prices are gonna increase input costs next year. $5 corn out there for December 22 might not be all it's cracked up to be because of higher input costs. So we gotta make our money this year. That means you need to have some upside. And that is meaning whether you sell it and retain some ownership via calls or instead of selling, use puts. It, there's going to be a cost to that. But if we get into a weather situation on top of this inflation that we have, uh, you know, kind of bubbling under the surface here in a lot of areas of the economy, uh, this thing could be explosive, as Bob mentioned. So you want to have some upside potential, whether that's sales cover with calls or puts instead of sales. This is the year to really try to hit that home run because it's going to get much more difficult even in a higher price environment going forward the next year or two. Bob, what type of profit potential are we even looking at at this point? Well, it all comes down to their ownership cost. If they take the farm cost in versus non-farm cost, uh, the rent, if you're renting, is a different cost than if you own the land. But we're getting, we're starting to rival what we saw back in 2012, which was in the $500, $600 for the guys that haven't sold it. But I think there's still uh, a little, I don't want to get too ambitious with those high profits. When you start looking out in 22 at $5, the costs are going to go up. But if you get your land costs locked in, the fertilizer and seed costs will go up. But percentage-wise, the corn costs are not going to go up that much. But the fear of higher costs will make it very, very difficult to sell these inversions. And that means the front end is premium to the back end. Everybody will want these 21 prices and these 22. But at the top, if you look at 12, look at 2008, 1996, everything suggests about a year and a half after the high, carry will come back in the market. So eventually 22, 23, we'll get carried back in the market. We just don't know how quick. But you do not want to be selling your DS22 corn or DS23 corn or 212 beans in the front end. You absolutely do not want to be in the front end. If you are, you've got to get out of the way. And frankly, if you're in the front end, you should be in a put. You should not be short to cash or short futures without some upside. Because while we're still getting sticker shock, and you know I'm traditionally a bear, as a bear, I'm basically really covering myself and limiting my cash flow because I want to have some powder dry in July and August to be able to really go after this market. If we get this weather scare market and we go to some of the lofty, I don't even want to use the price that some people are talking, but they will be very emotional and a great opportunities for the people that take advantage of it long term. Well, something that hasn't happened in 20 years. Well, it happened in the hogging cattle markets this week. We'll talk about it later on U.S. Farm Report. Well, in the latest Ag Economy Barometer, farmers voiced growing concerns about possible tax changes under the Biden administration. Here's John Phipps. Ag tax advisors like our own Paul Neifer have been working overtime to clarify possible changes to tax laws affecting farmers. Most of all, they have been focusing in on estate and other wealth taxes. Wealth taxes are not new, of course. Property taxes are the most familiar form of a wealth tax. Increasingly, the wide disparity of wealth distribution in our country has economists leaning toward these types of taxes for several financial and political reasons. One possible change is the end of the basis step up. Well, not a tax increase per se, it would have that same effect by ending a tax break. Let's make sure we all know what it means. 
Since 1913, the government has taxed capital gains as well as income. A capital gain is when a citizen buys an asset, anything from a Picasso to a quarter section, and then sells it later. And if the sales price is more than the purchase price, which is called the basis, that gain is taxed as a form of income. Of course, there could be a loss, too. There are many aspects to this form of taxation that I'm just going to ignore right now to concentrate on one of the oddest, in my opinion, the basis step-up. Consider this example. A farmer buys a parcel of land for $100,000 in, in year 2000. Since then, the value increases. It's now worth $300,000. If she sells the land, she will pay taxes on that gain in value of $200,000. Unfortunately, the day before the deal closes, she dies. Her heir decides to go ahead with the deal. But upon the farmer's death, the basis has magically become the current value, $300,000. So the heir will have no capital gains to be taxed. This is a genuine great deal. But what I have never heard is a good explanation about why it exists. Why should assets be revalued at death? What moral or economic good does this accomplish? The only answer I've ever heard that makes sense is that it's a really good deal for people with capital assets. Remember, too, this tax only occurs if the asset is sold. If the heir simply takes ownership, there are no capital gains to tax. There will be strong arguments about how eliminating this tax break will hurt farmers, but taking away special benefits can be seen as either harm or the end of an unearned gift. Over the next months, there will be vigorous debate about whether to end this tax break, but at some point, we all need to ask, why do we have it in the first place? Thanks, John. You can also catch up on all the potential tax changes and those details with Paul Niefer on agweb.com. Well, when we come back, Machine Repeat, he joins us this week for Tractor Tales. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerepeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineRepeat.com. Okay, folks, we want to talk about a rear tractor. We got one here with our friend Mike Smith from Marion, Ohio. Mike, your 724320, it's yellow and it's front wheel assist. Tell us yeah. about this thing. Well, the thing is, it's, um, it's a factory documented through deer that it, it was a factory front wheel and they made three of them uh, I guess basically painted three of them that okay. color yep. and there was a uh, sheriff's department of Fresno California hmm. and they had had 4020s before and I, the way I take it they needed a little bit more horsepower sure. so they they had they ordered these three and uh, I'm for, very fortunate to have one of them. What do people say when they see your your industrial yellow 4320 front wheel I mean one of three, it must turn a lot of heads. When well, you see them scratch your heads. They're like, they don't understand, you know, what's, what's the yellow? Why? So right. you explain to them why and where it comes from, and then they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. And, and Mike, it's sort of your thing. You're trying to collect these, these 20 series factory front wheel assist. Is that correct? Open station? Yes. When I get done, I'll have a full line of what I guess basically call a full line of uh, front wheel new gens, starting with the 3020, I have the 4020. Uh, the 4320 in the green and the yellow, and we have, we'll have, have the 4230 and the 4430, which both of them are open stations also, and they're factory for sure. 
Now, is this like your, your kid's mic? It's, is it hard to pick your favorite, or or do you have to pick the, the rare one of three, the yellow, the yellow well, one? Well, my dad always taught me, buy the rare one. Don't see how many you can buy, but buy the rare ones. So it's kind of rare. But this one I'm standing in front of is kind of kind of special in my heart because it's I like this one. Well, still to come, you've probably seen help wanted signs planted on highways or maybe your local restaurant is shutting down early. We'll tell you about the price consumers may pay as businesses desperately search for people willing to work. That's next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Well, as businesses open back up and restaurants work to service customers eager to eat out again, there's a new problem popping up, a lack of people to fill those jobs. And it's coming at a cost. That's this week's Farm Journal report. Restaurants closing early, sign after sign plastered along roadsides with businesses looking for help. A labor shortage is crippling everything from manufacturing to the restaurant industry. Talking with my guys that do the welding for us and order the steel, it's not a recycled steel shortage. It comes down to labor. And in the Pacific Northwest. You want to know what 350,000 pounds of wasted food looks like? Let me show you. Farmer Shea Meyer is also dealing with a labor shortage. What we usually do is bring people on an H-2A visa, but the border is so freaking screwed up that they can't get people crossed. While Meyer points to the border being the issue for him, the lack of available workers in the U.S. is also creating bottlenecks. The California Farm Bureau says during carrot and onion harvests in South California, they are seeing up to 30 percent fewer drivers than before the pandemic. In order to alleviate some of the shortage is to get President Biden to enact the Stafford Act, as Donald Trump did last year. There would be some relief on the amount of drivers needed to bring in the harvest. Purdue University's Jason Lusk says there's not necessarily a shortage of workers in the U.S. You know, it's a little perplexing. So you mentioned the word shortage. If, if you actually look at data on employment, there's actually a lot fewer, you know, workers in the restaurant industry and a little bit fewer workers in uh, food manufacturing and in grocery retail. Uh, so that would seem to suggest, well, we don't really have a shortage. The Bureau of Labor Statistics data shows wages and earnings have increased significantly, especially in the grocery and retail food sectors. Wages are getting pulled up, so you would think that would pull in more workers into those sectors, but we're not really seeing that at the moment. Instead, the data shows it's not a shortage of workers, it's a shortage of people willing to work. That's the natural question, why? Why aren't people showing back up at work? And I think there are several possible explanations. In the latest Kansas City Fed manufacturing report, one manufacturer said, quote, stimulus and increased unemployment money are wrecking the labor pool. Lower level employees are quitting to make just as much not working, end quote. Today, someone with a $15 per hour job working 40 hours a week would bring home $600 a week. But in Kentucky, the maximum unemployment pay is $569 per week, plus the extra $300 per week passed in the Biden administration's American rescue plan. And in Kansas, those who were getting $488 for unemployment before are now getting $788 with the added federal benefit. Numbers that show instead of getting paid to work, some Americans can make more money by simply not working at all. I haven't seen, you know, empirical estimates of the effect, but it has to be having some effect if people can can stay at home 
and and make something similar to what they might at, at work that's going to be you know it's going to keep people out of the workforce and as food service employers offer sign-on bonuses or pay more to find people to fill those jobs basic economics shows there's no such thing as a free lunch but also is going to result in higher retail food prices that extra cost that's in the system um, is going to ultimately be borne at least in part by the food consumer the labor debacle is coming at a time when commodity prices are also racing higher if you just look at the year over year change it doesn't look crazy doesn't look you know outside the sort of norms but i think the cumulative effect is really starting to appear in the data and really over the course of the last year we're seeing retail food prices uh, starting to tick up quite a bit and as corn prices gained a dollar in just two weeks the rise in commodities may not be over yet as the debate over inflation also heats up now at the moment it looks like those High commodity prices may be with us, and I think we'll probably continue to see that in our food prices and in our meat prices. As this Mother's Day weekend, wholesale choice beef prices reach prices not seen since the early weeks of the pandemic. Taken together, all of this is making for an expensive and challenging return to normal. Now, Montana's governor this week announced the state will end its participation in the federal unemployment program, which means unemployed workers will no longer receive the extra $300 per week. Instead, Montana's governor says the state will launch a new program to provide bonuses to unemployed workers who return to work. All right, when we come back, a lot more to talk about with our markets. Bob Utterback and Chip Mellinger rejoin me next. Join Andrew McRae for Farming the Countryside, a farmer-focused podcast all about production agriculture. Brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven, the nitrogen-producing microbes that stay put, whether or not. Visit pivotbio.com. Welcome back. Bob Utterback, Chip Ellinger rejoining us. All right, we talked a lot about the wild swing and the markets this week before we move to livestock. You know, I'm hearing some elevators, Chip, that are having to make some, some pretty hefty margin calls, and that's happening nearly daily. When you look at what's happening on the elevator side, how do you think that could impact our farmer audience? Well, I, I think eventually if we continue higher, um, you know, looking back to 2012, we were uh, allegedly within a day or two of having some major, uh, you know, ABC grain companies uh, having to go to some alternative financing. I don't think we're quite to that level, but if it gets to that and an elevator says, hey, I'm done margining this thing, what that means is their owned inventory is going to hit the market. They're going to sell their own inventory, get out of their hedge. It's going to put grain on the market and that could cap us a little bit. It could really mess with the spreads. I'm concerned with uh, you know, this week that the bear spreads are working in the corn market, that's either a, a, a small correction and it's going to be quickly led by the July leading us higher, or it could be the hint of a temporary short term top. So uh, these spreads are really going to get uh, really crazy before it's said and done. Yeah, elevators getting out of their contracts. I mean, Bob, is that something you're concerned about even in, in the fall? Well, I think two things the cost the elevator will pa try to pass that to producer, they'll start charging you 10. Right now it's 10 cents to forward sell. I could see 25 to 30 cents to forward sell. So the cost to sell the cash versus the board could be significant. Secondly, if you have one of these turbo contracts that are kind of popular around where you sell the corn but and you get a premium price, but if the market goes up, it doubles up. This is not the year to be doing that as a cash, as a farmer merchandiser, because you could get yourself really trapped. Uh, and then obviously they'll do it in the basis. They're going to have to do something to basically recover. 
but it could be a real uh, interesting fall time period. But I, as a farmer, I would be positioning myself not looking for carry to come back in the 21 crop. And I'd be thinking right now, thinking I'm going to sell off the combine and not store unless the market's paying me to store. So that would be the marketing plan you should be putting in place. And I know a lot of guys don't like that because they hampers their harvesting procedure. But if the markets, if you're paying the market to store and the front end is lease is premium to the March and March is premium to the May, you're paying for the right to be long. You should get rid of it. Chip. Moving to livestock, we had an interesting dynamic happen between hogs and cattle this week. What happened? What caused it? And ultimately, Chip, what does it mean? Yeah, well, hogs and cattle are really kind of two separate scenarios here. Hogs, uh, uh, really, we're seeing the the effect of the liquidation from a year ago during the shutdown of COVID. So a lot of, uh, you know, liquidation, sow slaughter. And, and now we've got our own health issues uh, in the U.S. herd with PERS, strong demand from China still, very bullish situation in the hogs and you're seeing the effect of that you know 113 114 hogs uh here in the nearby cattle different situation we've got plenty of supply out there we're still feeding them pretty heavy we haven't seen yet i think we quickly will uh the effects of lower weights due to these higher corn prices i think that's uh, imminent here within the days to weeks ahead of us but it's a different situation in cattle and we still have plentiful supplies and the packers have the, mar the, the leverage right now. So we saw that uh, front month June live cattle and the front month June lean hawk futures uh, saw those hogs a, a slight premium to where the cattle were first time in about 20 years. I don't know that it means a whole lot in the big picture other than it's two different dynamics, two different types of markets. But if the hogs keep going, the scary part is we haven't even really hit the main demand period here over the next several weeks of hogs our seasonal high you know usually comes in july or, or or by the first of august and if that continues and we keep these hogs going it could spill over give a little bit of support to the live cattle market part of what's pressured cattle is just a massive setback here in the feeders because as corn prices have shot higher it's really pushed the feeders lower but you've corrected that feeder fat spread as well so i think we're probably at a pretty fair area here for both uh, live cattle and the feeders right now all right, Chip, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. It starts with a plan. That's why America's Conservation Ag Movement is inviting you to get your farm business ready for 2021 with a free resource stewardship planning guide. Get your free guide today at agweb.com ACAM. Grit with Grace is brought to you by Zoetis. Your dedication runs deep and it fuels everything Zoetis does. To protect and support cattle and those who care for them, we are Born of the Bond. Learn more at bornofthebond.com. Well, we're starting a new series here on U.S. Farm Report called Grit with Grace, stories of those turning trials and tribulations into triumphs, turning obstacles into opportunities. And this Mother's Day weekend, what better way to kick it off with a young mother, wife, and veterinarian who just underwent the battle of her life. A serene setting on this Missouri farm is where Kristen Clinney is living her dream. I was about eight years old when I declared, Dad, I want to be a vet. <laughs> her dad, Tom Wright, says Kristen was even younger than that when he knew animals were her calling. Oh, probably when she was three. She always helped me in the turkeys. She was the one daughter that never, the animals didn't bother her. She always liked the animals. All right, we got our shots ready. Now a veterinarian in the neighboring town of Eldon, her career desires have been steadfast. 
I never changed my course at all. Everything I did throughout high school and college directed me towards that. A graduate at the University of Missouri's vet school, she thought a large animal practice was her calling. But that changed when Kristen and her husband John had a chance to move back to her family's farm. As we moved back home, um, we had just started our family. We had a son and definitely my role on the farm changed as well as my role in my career where um, being a small animal veterinarian and kind of having more controlled hours did work a lot better for our family. Family first, Kristen is now a mom. Can you come here to mommy? Who just went through the fight of her life. In January of 2020, um, I randomly felt a lump in my neck that I knew was something odd as soon as I felt it. I knew it wasn't right. Over the next few weeks, Kristen said it was a whirlwind of doctor's appointments, biopsies, and ultrasounds. And unfortunately, I found out that I did have thyroid cancer. Coping with the news, within five days, Kristen underwent surgery. We were under the impression my tumor was small. They caught it early. I'd have one surgery and that would be the end of it. But it wasn't. We got the bad news that although my tumor was small, it was um, rather mighty, so to speak, and it had spread and I would be needing a second surgery as well as radiation therapy. Radiation that crippled her ability to be around anyone? Jeb was three, so it was very difficult. Or anything, including her animals. When did you almost hit a breaking point? I think when we found out it was worse. Initially, they said, we're going to take your whole thyroid, and I was on board for that. But then um, he changed his mind and said, we're going to do half your thyroid. They've come out with new recommendations. I said, I don't feel comfortable with this because what I originally felt was a lymph node. So I knew it had spread. I knew it had. The one surgery that turned into two and radiation to try to get it all. And so to hear that news, it kind of knocked the wind out of my sail. And I thought, why didn't I fight harder? I think she's always seen uh, animals heal. Uh, that was one of Kristen's problems probably is that she understood the medical part of it. Uh, animals and humans aren't a lot different. Uh, uh, she, she knew what was happening. A medical battle that came with a mountain of obstacles as the one who's usually doing the healing couldn't do the healing herself. And then that was the first time John broke down too through it all was because he knew he was losing his job and he felt he was letting me down. Like our whole world just felt like it was crashing around us. At a time when the country was shutting down, so was she. And there were days I wanted to give up both mentally and physically. Well, come to find out I was reacting really bad to my medication and my kidneys were shutting down and that's why I felt so terrible. Simple things on the farm, at the vet clinic. Hi, Grit. It's okay, bud. And even at home. I can hold you. She was too weak to even do. I um, read something right kind of midway through my journey and I was really struggling. And it said, um, you know, it takes the same energy to be strong or to be miserable. It's your choice. And so after reading that, I made a conscious decision that every day I was going to choose to be strong because I needed to be strong not only for myself, but for my husband, for my son, for my family. A wife and a mom. And I love it. And now a cancer survivor. I feel very fortunate. <laughs> not everybody gets to say that after their journey. A year-long journey that took grit and grace.
I know that like through the love of my family, through my faith, I can get through anything. And really it is um, not giving up. Um, it was a complete mindset. A scar that could symbolize pain is now something Kristen wears with pride. When I look at that scar, I remember all I've overcome. I remember to be grateful for each day because life changes immediately sometimes. And um, to just continue to be strong, no matter what life throws at you, um, just keep going. A resurrection of sorts as she steps back into the circle of life. All right, hold my hand. Reborn and ready for a future together. Wow, this Mother's Day is going to be even that much sweeter. Thanks for sharing your story, Kristen. All right, when we come back, John Fitz. A right to repair update. Well, John talked about the microchip shortage on the show, but what about the right to repair? He joins us this week for customer support. Regular viewer David Bredhold has been helpfully monitoring the right to repair effort. It appears that even if a farmer can purchase diagnostic software, it is extremely expensive. Beyond that, I wonder how farmers can be assured that they can receive software updates as they are released. Additionally, how can they be assured that software they have purchased today is compatible with replacement components purchased months or even years later? Modifications may be made to logic components within assemblies that require later software updates to diagnose or program properly. Now Dave is referencing an article which documents how hard and expensive promised software and manuals are to get. Oddly enough, this is not a new tactic. For some reason, parts manuals have always been unreasonably costly, for example. Now, I've sided mostly with the engineers in this debate, but I think it's about to get much more complicated, but maybe more predictable. This map shows why. The term right to repair has been kind of co-opted by other product consumer groups. Here are the states with R2R titled legislation and the focus of that legislation. Many states are combination of ingredients here, too. The problem is when you talk R2R, there are now far more companies and manufacturers paying attention than just ag equipment makers. Big Tech is deeply concerned about their devices and proprietary software and so sensitive about state regulation of any part of their business, they shut down efforts in North Dakota and Arizona literally overnight. This conflation of R2R with other intellectual property issues is a big problem for R2R proponents, since no manufacturer wants a precedent set in another state or even another industry. State-by-state -state regulation also begs for a uniform federal solution. But the weirdest turn for me in this debate has been how proponents of various R2R laws are being identified. In ag states, R2R is seen as a conservative individual rights issue, but the Wall Street Journal categorizes R2R as leftist activism undermining intellectual property rights. The ag issue will struggle for legislative and or judicial success in such an environment. Regardless, I remain convinced this is an issue for a very small number of farmers. Most of us have decided going to war with our supply chain is not a good long-term strategy. 
and the horror stories of long delays for simple repairs told by R2R fans are really the exceptions, not the rule. Thanks, John. And don't forget, you can email him at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, well, we know there's always things laying around in our fields or in our pastures, and they can be annoying. But one farmer moved something in his field, and it had international implications. That's next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Bayer Plus Rewards, helping make every part of your season more rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. Honest mistakes, they just happen from time to time, but not always do those mistakes have an international impact. Well, the issue centers around this stone, labeled 1819. It's one of the boundary stones that marks the border between Belgium and France. Well, it was recently spotted as being out of place by seven and a half feet. According to authorities, a Belgian farmer moved the stone because it was in his way. And in doing so, he made Belgium larger. Officials from both countries laughing about the incident. All right, that's all the time we have this Mother's Day weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to watch us next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend out there, and happy Mother's Day, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.